Hey Plumsters, Melanie here. I just wanted to give you a quick content warning that during today's show, in our chat with Sue William Silverman, we do touch on the topics of sexual assault, incest, and sex addiction. It's a great conversation overall, but please do listen with care for those reasons. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Plume, a Writer's Companion. I'm Melanie Unruh-Rodriguez. And I'm Jennifer Simpson. And we're the The Plume Plume Gals. Writing is often a lonely and difficult pursuit. And for women and non-binary writers, it is sometimes relegated to the back burner. Plume is a supportive community for writers. And we're here to help inspire and encourage you in the important creative work that you do. Because our stories do matter. Each month, we publish creative work and a letter of encouragement by a successful woman or non-binary writer. In the past, we've offered this publication as part of a subscription box service, though in the time of quarantine, we are publishing digitally. You can sign up for our digital plume publication and other fun benefits over on patreon.com backslash plume of writer's companion. Join for as little as $2 a month. We also host this bi-weekly podcast to give you a creative boost. So we've had a busy month as we've now released our first two podcast episodes, and now the one you're listening to is our third, and we've continued building our Patreon. And as we've mentioned, although we've shut down our physical shop, we're very excited by all the opportunities and all the new writers we've already encountered by moving our business to the digital realm. So I don't know about you, Jen, but I'm, I'm kind of pumped for where this is headed. It is exciting, especially as we're seeing the numbers grow on the episodes downloaded and listened to so far. I think we're almost at 100, so mm-hmm. it's very exciting. Yeah, I think we're in something like 20-some cities and three countries, so... Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, <laughs> That's three, awesome. Three countries, isn't that great? So what is new in the writing community? The other day, Jen sent me an article that she was interested in talking about. So I'm going to let you take the lead here, Jen, because I know you might have some some strong feelings, it sounds like. So why don't you give us some context? <laughs> well, okay, I'm sure everyone has... I, I checked Twitter, and certainly our people are talking about it, but um, I don't know if it's all, you know... I don't know if everyone is, is is annoyed by it as I am. I think not, probably. But it's about a four-year-old who just got a book deal for his wonderful poetry. And I was just like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? I don't even know how he can have any kind of real depth of understanding of the world to really write a poem. And to me, I think everyone's reaction to it is more interesting I mean, to me, the, the, the words that he shared, there was no reflection. It was what the adults um, projected onto it. Because there's no way he can have any kind of deep re- reflection at four. I just don't believe it. He's only been alive four years. And so um, it just got me to thinking about that. And I posted something on 
Facebook, and I was like, can you can you even believe this? And of course, all the mothers were like, well, of course he's brilliant. And I'm like, I'm sure he is. I mean, I had great short stories that I wrote in second grade because I actually, as a joke, put that on my resume, on my cover letter. My first one, I said, well, I've always been a writer. You know, my, my first publication was The History of Poi, a book published by Mrs. Sinaka's second grade class. I mean, but I don't really think anyone looked at my work like that at that time. And I think that um, maybe we should be talking to our kids more, sure. And they are, they do say amazing things sometimes, and they really do absorb what's going on around them. And I think we need to continue that, those conversations, but I don't think that we need to make them a poet at four. That's, that's my opinion. You may totally disagree. I'm not a poet. I'm not a mother. <laughs> well, I'm not technically, I mean, I've written some poetry. I don't consider myself a poet. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe my perspective is different. I don't, I don't yeah. say that I have you know, the definitive take on this, but maybe because I, I do have young children, my perspective is a little different, but I guess the way I'm looking at it, like when I, let's say nine years ago, I worked at an academic summer camp as a teaching assistant for writing courses. And one of the first things, these were like middle school and early high school kids, so a little bit older, but one of the first lessons, actually the very first lesson we worked through with them was this idea of what we call teaching them to, to embrace the idea of being functionally unfixed. So basically, the way I always think of this, we, we did an exercise where we said, you know, what did you eat for breakfast today? And all the kids said, you know, eggs and toast and cereal and bacon and whatever, oatmeal. And then we said, so no one had lobster. No one had filet mignon. Like, no one had chocolate cake. And they all looked at us like, what are, what are you getting at? And this was us introducing this idea of functional unfixedness. So why is it that breakfast has to be these certain things? Like, why are we in this mindset? And what was interesting is that, you know, in the beginning they pushed back, but it's a lot easier for younger people to access that part of the brain because they haven't, you know, gone through as much schooling and as much, you know, job training and just all the things in the world that tend to weigh us down and kind of make us stay in our little ways of thinking. Um, so I do think that there is something that kids can access that is a little bit different that, you know, and, so, and some may say, oh, it's not as sophisticated. And, and to, the, to your point, sometimes that is the case. But I, I just think that there is something kind of beautiful about the things that, that they can say. And I, and it's interesting because with poetry, like my son will say he wants to write poems and we'll sit down and like sometimes to him, a poem is a drawing. Or sometimes he'll dictate things to me, or sometimes he'll try to write them down. And so I think it's an interesting process. My concern about this isn't so much, I thought the poems were beautiful, and I, I, I certainly wouldn't not call a four-year-old a poet, but I, but I do wonder if a four-year-old can't really consent to having their work published. So I wonder if that will have repercussions later in life. And I also wonder too, like, I'm sure there are talented four-year-olds, and, and he's one of them. But I do wonder, reading the article and, and kind of listening to it, so the mom is a university literature lecturer in England, so certainly she's connected. So so it's not even to me about the fact that it's a four-year-old. It's about the fact that so much of publishing is who do you know? you know? And maybe someone was like, what if we did this radical project where we published a book of poems by a four-year-old? Um, and, and I'm sure I'm, I'd be interested to read it, honestly. But I do think that there there may be some you know, that this, no one would have plucked this kid out of the ether in, you know, regular life, but if, but if she knows poets and she knows writers. So I guess my, 
somewhat of an issue with it is a little bit different. Like I, I don't really begrudge the kid his poems, and I, and I do feel kind of bad that I think later he might kind of question process and kind of putting his ideas out there. Well, yeah, exactly. So he doesn't even have his own agency yeah. to write poems or publish them or whatever. And it's like child actors, you know. <laughs> I think there's some are very talented, but I just don't. Same thing that there are some that are really talented and they can access these kind of steps and they are good at learning and they're good at following the steps to whatever, fill in the blank. But I just really, I just think it's a, a little bit um, taking advantage of this kid for the mother or the family or whatever for their sake. I mean, I'm just not, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be an important important lesson for them to look at later. Like, I, I've really, obviously not so much with the toddler yet. We're, we're starting to get there with him. But with my older son, who's five and a half, you know, we're starting to talk about this idea, or we've been talking for the past few years, about this idea of consent. And I think if you're teaching that, you don't want to then, you know, do these kinds of things. And, you know, I posted something on Twitter uh, something that my son said about Hamilton. And he got really mad at me when he realized, like, you told your friends what I said. So you really have to, you know, kids do care about sometimes about having their their ideas out there so that would be my only thing but I think I think it was beautiful I listened to the recording of one of the poems and I think because he's not writing yet you know he had to kind of memorize the poem and he was but he was singing it which I, I just thought was beautiful that was like his way of remembering it he was just this little voice I don't know it it melted my heart a little bit I'm not gonna lie I think and I also think there's there's different types of poetry like not all poetry is high art like there's poetry out there that you know is limericks and whatnot so I don't think all poetry has to necessarily be literary but I do also wonder then you know did he get an advance well I guess poets don't really get advances is always the running joke so yeah maybe he got contributor copies (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay I mean we have this joke I know we always say like oh he's poet famous (laughs) I mean yeah okay so I will re-examine my thinking on that for sure but I still just I kind of like it's I don't know. I feel like he's being um, taken advantage of. Well, if you have any thoughts, Plumsters, you can always write into us at encouragement at plumeforwriters.org. Let us know what you think. You know, this issue or any of the others we've talked about or just anything. If you want to share some ideas with us, maybe we'll read you on air. Who knows? Coming up, our interview with Plume's August featured writer, Sue William Silverman. Yes, so I'm going to be uh, reading a short uh, section from my new book, How to Survive Death and Other Inconveniences. And this section is close to the beginning. uh, And the section is called The Eternal Reign of Miss Route 17. And basically the structure of the book is kind of both a real and a metaphoric road trip on Route 17, which is in New Jersey, as the narrator kind of drives through her life collecting memories. So this is, as I say, just a short section from the beginning. I floor the accelerator of my parents' gold Plymouth Savoy. I abandoned the immaculate green lawns of Glenrock, New Jersey, looking for action. Soft, vowelly teenage boys, Joey, Bruce, Howie, diminish in the rear view, as does a future that would also be diminished by starched shirtwaist dresses, 
primly flipped hair, ivory soaped skin. I seek other names and places to discover and define who I am and what I want, more or less to live forever. In high school, my definition of life, of action, of forever is modest, to hurdle up and down Route 17, blaring the Supremes, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles. Here, I am free, electric, invincible. To survive death, I must be invincible, just like Route 17, where acidic rain and lightning illuminate eat here signs atop diners. The limitless wet sky thunders my car to the pavement. Route 17 shivers intensely, embracing me in its rumbling sounds. At dusk, when the rain stops, I roll down the window and inhale a bouquet of diesel fumes. Coppery strobes of sunset reflect off car bumpers. Where else do I want to be? Nowhere is where. When streetlights and neon ignite, I, underage, sneak into bars and play foosball and pinball. I plunk spare change into the jukebox. I dance with anyone who asks. Rick, Steve, guys skulking hard-edged consonants. Camel cigarettes are tucked in the sleeves of their white t-shirts like small packets of death. But we're safe here with all the power of Route 17 keeping us alive. So I'll, I'll end it there. Thank you. That was lovely. Thank you. Okay, that was great. I love Thank that. You. you have such great details and images in, in your work that it's really delightful to read. Thank you. Well, you know, in some ways, it's sort of interesting. I mean, that's how I kind of reclaim memory. I mean, in part, the book is about reclaiming memories. Mm. And the way that I do it as a writer is sort of sink myself into a very sensory world. And it's amazing how by doing that, a lot of the memories come back that if I were just sort of sitting around sort of thinking, well, what was that like? I mean, like I wouldn't remember, but once I'm really on the page and trying to get in touch with sensory details, that's, it's like the memories start coming back through them. So you mentioned in your letter that when you first started writing, the novels you wrote were quote unquote bad. When did you first make this realization and how many you know, quote unquote, bad novels that you have to go through before you found your voice. Yeah, it's embarrassing. I mean, I kind of lost track of how many bad novels I have, but it's, it's over four. I mean, it might be five or six and they just didn't work. I mean, I've never written successful fiction. I mean, let's just leave it at that. I never found a fictional voice at all. It's just, I can't do it. I just can't. What's interesting though, is that the second, I mean, sort of literally within like 15 seconds of switching from fiction to creative nonfiction, bam, I knew how to write it. I mean, it's just, it was like instantaneous. And I think, well, two things. First of all, having written all those bad novels, I still was learning how to write. So it's not like it was, you know, a total waste. I couldn't write fiction, but I was learning, you know, how to form sentences, how to develop characters, whether it's myself or somebody else. So I was learning how to write, but all the bad novels that I was writing 
the reason why they didn't work is that they sounded emotionally inauthentic because I was trying to tell my story, but I was trying to do it sort of through this guise or veiled by fiction. And it just, it didn't work and it was never going to work. And, um, you know, like the, the novels are kind of sort of, you know, about growing up in an incestuous family, kind of sort of about sex addiction. And I didn't even know the term for that then. But so I was sort of trying to find myself, but just in the wrong genre. And then it was really my therapist, not like a writing teacher who said, Sue, why don't you tell your own story? And so all those hundreds of thousands of dollars I paid him, you know, like, was a good thing. I, at first I said, are you kidding me? I can't, you know, I have nothing to say about myself. And I really did believe that. But then, you know, after sort of arguing with him on and off for a long time, I, I sort of said, okay, I'll try to write myself about myself. And it was just there. The voice was just there on the page. It was just like, oh, okay, I can do this. It was such a relief. We actually had a, uh, a writer do a guest post for us on our blog. And she had written a book about her experience being in a trial. Her roommate had murdered somebody. Oh my God. And she said that writing the book was worth more than 12 years of therapy. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's really interesting. I mean, I sort of did need both, but writing really helped me understand my life on a much deeper, that sort of metaphoric level you know, the way you just don't talk in therapy, you don't talk about metaphors in therapy. I mean, I don't, I just sort of, you know, scream and cry and act really, you know, like a three-year-old. <laughs> and so, you know, very not uh, professional. But so writing really affords you the opportunity to go back into that experience in the past and not relive it exactly, but really transform it into art. And by doing that, I really do go to a much um, sort of more profound level of understanding and sort of making connections. You know, we were talking about Adam Lambert before. So let's say if I were in therapy, I would just say, oh, I had this question on Adam Lambert and I always so, you know, whatever. But I wouldn't go into like, well, what does he really mean to me, you know, in that metaphoric way? And that's what I can do kind of in writing. So many people writing creative nonfiction grapple with this idea of how their friends and family will react. And in writing about incest and abuse at the hands of a family member, how were you able to navigate such difficult writing and potential real life repercussions? Yeah, I mean, I know, I, you know, I teach writing at Vermont College of Fine Arts and so many of my students are, are grappling just with that and just, yeah, writers, you know, everywhere. I try to sort of break it down in that the first thing that I focus on is just knowing that I have to write my story. So I try not to even think about the outside world, like what will so-and-so think or what, you know, will I even get it published? I just put everything that's not of the actual putting words down on paper out of my head. And knowing that I just need to write this mainly first and foremost for myself because I need to understand what this is about. So that's the first thing I do is just almost in some ways pretend nobody else is even going to see it. And then the other thing that I tell myself is that I already survived this bad thing that happened to me. And if I survive that, here I am now, I'm an adult. Whatever happened in the past 
that is the past. I've gotten through it. And now I really have this amazing opportunity to sort of put it into my own words and understand it in a way that I couldn't understand in the past. So it's almost like this gift that I'm giving myself that, oh, I, you know, yeah, I get to have the last word for one thing, but also I just really can spend time figuring things out. And so by believing that, and I really do, that also helps a lot. Then after all the writing is done, then the next step is I get to choose if I'm going to try to publish it or not. In my case, I always, you know, do try to publish because I'm a writer and I think that is part of the process. But I think that there's a real power in that, both in the writing and in the publishing, that there's a real power in sort of getting your voice out there. Because like after I publish a book, let's say my first one, okay, is about growing up in an incestuous family. After I wrote that book and I'd give readings and or, you know, I get emails from women just all over the country thanking me, not just for telling my story, but sort of for telling their story too. So those human connections that you make are so empowering, you know, not just for them, but, you know, for me that, you know, somebody heard my voice and, you know, to make that connection, it's just really important. And even, you know, like with Lovesick, which is a memoir I wrote about recovering from a sex addiction. I mean, I got letters from a lot of women who say, well, okay, I'm not struggling with that, but I can really relate to a lot of the things that you've gone through with, you know, sort of emotionally dangerous men, you know, because like who hasn't? So it's just, that really is empowering. And the other thing to remember is that everybody, I mean, everybody has a story, everybody has a voice. And if you don't put yours out there, Nobody else can tell your story for you. And then it's just like lost forever. And to me, that is like the most heartbreaking thing. I mean, as writers, we have this opportunity. We have this gift. We can tell our stories, which a lot of people don't have. And to just not pursue that really is sad. So, you know, so for anybody listening, you know, go write your story. It's important. And people want to hear it. Thank you. Absolutely. This is so important, especially for women, because we have been left out of the narrative of this country for so long. And also the same for diverse people, bisexual, lesbian, everyone who's different, who's not a middle-aged white man. They yeah. need to get their stories out there. I mean, that's really true. I mean, because all of those voices that you mentioned have all been silenced for decades. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it is so important for us to, you know, tell our stories now and not have them just kind of just lost because that really is the saddest thing to me is to think of them. And I also feel that that is where the healing of our nation is going to reside is in the telling of all of our stories because right. I just think so we're still so segregated yes. from each other and until we learn each other's stories we don't know who we are. I know I mean that's why I love to read memoirs as well you know is that it is it's just this feeling at one with somebody else and who they are and what they've struggled with it engenders empathy And when you think about sort of civilization and the big scheme of things, what really lasts? Culture lasts. Art lasts. That's what lasts. You know, we're still looking at Greek Greek sculpture. You know, I mean, art lasts. 
And so whatever your art form is, I mean, that's how as a culture, as a civilization, we are going to be remembered. And I do firmly believe that that is what engenders empathy is feeling somebody else's story. And goodness knows in our country right now, we need a lot of empathy. So speaking of these kinds of stories, which are difficult to tell, I know for myself, I'm writing a lot about my mother's death. She died when I was 13 and uh. cancer and you know all the things go along with that so it's sometimes it's just tough tough to be in that space to like take a dive in and be with it i'm wondering what what kind of self-care practices do you employ to help i'm assuming you have the same challenges as other writers do even though you've done it more publicly well, you know, what's really interesting to me, because this may be an answer you're not expecting, but for me, self-care is in the writing. I mean, even though it's writing about difficult times, it's still, I feel with every word I write, I'm learning more about what that meant, who I am, and that makes me feel more whole. And so I don't have like a lot of things outside of myself. I mean, yes, I have friends, you know, and other and writer friends who I can always talk to for sure. And there are times maybe I just need to, okay, I need to go take a walk. But for the most part, for me, self-care is knowing that I have control over this whole story and I get to tell it how I want to tell it how it felt to me and that just makes me feel very centered i mean like right now during this awful time the pandemic and trump and oh it's just been a nightmare ever since you know from 2016 it gets worse every day i actually have done a lot of writing during this time because i just it's a way for me to feel um just more whole and I can't fix the world right now. Yes, I'm going to go vote for sure. And I'm going to give all as much money as I can to good candidates. But I really can't control that. But what I can control is writing and what I write. And so it's so nurturing for me. So that's really what I do. That's a really great way to frame it. Because I know for me, I've been having trouble writing. I've been working on my memoir. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing edits right now. It seems easier than actually yeah. digging in creatively. But in terms of writing anything new, I'm just not focusing. I can't concentrate. I when it first happened, it took me a little bit of time to get back to write to writing. But I should say at the same time, I knew this new book had just come out. And so I had to cancel all of my in person um, events and change the whole thing to online. So I was promoting the book for, you know, about two months or so it came out March first, just as the pandemic hit. And so that, you know, did take a lot of time when, you know, obviously, I'm not gonna have time to sort of write as well. Just you know, getting my book launched. But after the book was pretty much launched, I really thought, oh, I've got to get back to writing. It really has helped me so much to sort of stay kind of that centered and sort of focused on what for me is the most important thing. Um, so you brought up something interesting that I, I did not specifically ask you to talk about, That's but okay. um, publishing now, how has that been better, worse, different? Has the launch been 
successful in this strange new world? What's so ironic and so amazing and beautiful is how our writing community really stepped up to help those of us who are launching books in the middle of this. I got offers I never would have gotten otherwise. It's just like we came together, you know, like our whole writing community, just all over the country, wherever, because we could do it all online, we could make these connections. And I literally think that it may have gotten better with the pandemic, which is so ironic, you know, certainly different. And I certainly miss the aspects of, you know, not meeting people in person and all of that. But the way we should feel really good as writers to know how our community really came together to help others. It's just wonderful. I mean, it really, you know, like we really care about each other. You know, sometimes you hear about petty jealousies or whatever in the writing community. That just, none of that was going on. It's just everybody, like, you know, I was launching a book, but I was helping other women, particularly, you know, maybe some men too. Yeah, some guys too. I do have two good friends who are publishing their books, but we all just like, I helped them. They helped me. Like everybody was just helping each other however we could. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I know I uh, organized an event for my friend who just published her novel Yeah, and it was supposed to be in person in San Diego and they had an, it was at the women's museum, um, which was really exciting, but then they had a new executive director, and I was—I just jumped in. I said, "Hey, you want to do this online?" And she was like, "Like, whoa, I can't do that." She said, "Can we?" I don't think we can just flip a switch. And I said, "Oh, yes, we can. <laughs> we can just go online and do it. So, like, we exactly. got to do it." You just set up a Zoom account, exactly. you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah, and that's what people have been doing. You know, from what I can see, like on social media, people are having good book launches not what they were expecting but still i think but different yeah like because so for karen's book we had people coming in by zoom from boston and from new york and like people from all over who would not have been at that little museum event exactly exactly no i mean you know realistically at let's say at a book signing or book reading at a at a bookstore you know you maybe get 30 people on a really good day. That's a good, good. And event. that's a really, yeah. I mean, let's say it goes from five to 30 to be, you know, really realistic. <laughs> but on Zoom, I mean, I was having over 100 people. And as you say, from all over the country, friends all of mine, over. where I would never, who would never, you know, have been able to see me because, you know, I'm not going to, I don't travel around the country on a book tour. So I just, I mean, it's weird and ironic, but. And I certainly would have preferred that we not have the pandemic for sure. Definitely. But, you know, but since we had it and have it, you know, there, there are still ways to get your book out there. So don't despair anybody. No. <laughs> I, I feel like get I've mine been... finished. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I feel like I've actually bought more books during the pandemic because I've been at home and I've, I've been cleaning my bookshelf and going, what am I doing with these and getting different books? And then also yeah. really wanting to support small bookstores and writers and so I've, I feel like I've made a more conscious effort to buy more physical books since this started. Absolutely I've been buying more books as well I mean I've bought every you know all of these friends that we've been supporting each other I mean we've all bought each other's books and other books people I don't know but I know they're launching a book and yeah I absolutely have so 
you know, it says a lot for us as a, you know, as a writing community, how um, supportive that we are to each other. I mean, it's really kind of beautiful. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm assuming you were around back the first time around that we did this. I feel like in a lot of ways, the women's movement and Black Lives Matter, I'm always like, didn't we do this already? I know. (laughs) In some ways, yeah, we sort of want, I think that a lot of us feel like we have, but clearly not enough. And then with the administration just exacerbating everything just to such a horrific depth that it's sort of a wake-up call that okay, maybe we did a lot back then, but it's never enough and you always have to be awake to what is going on to prevent these things from happening again. You know, even like when Obama was president, we think, okay, God, we've made so much progress. And then we go back like, you know, a gazillion years with Trump. And it's just so important to recognize that no, these things can always happen again. You know, I mean, like the hashtag Me Too movement, you know, is relatively recently and, you know, women have been assaulted for, you know, forever. And it took until, when was that, 2016? No, 2017, when was the Me Too? Something in there. But, you know, you think that these things are solved or that the Supreme Court makes a decision and that's going to last forever and then they overturn things. So it's just it's just really important to know that it's never going to be enough, that we always have to be listening to voices that say are considered kind of other, that aren't, as you say, you know, white, straight men, that everybody else, we have to support each other and know how to hear each other so we can we can be sort of this solid group. That you know, is a hopeful thought for sure. Yeah. I feel like we we got the civil rights laws, but we didn't change the culture. And yeah. I'm kind of hoping that's what's happening now. Yeah, I do too. I hope so too. On another positive note, uh, I want to end with what are you working on next? What's next for you? So I am working on some some personal essays and I've just finished about maybe four or five of them and I'm not sure how how they're coming together in terms of a book yet. I may be working kind of on a sort of a hybrid book that may be sort of part craft book and part creative to sort of show how the two fit together. It's very much a work in progress but the good news is that it is holding my attention, which is what I need right now. And it interests me. And so I will continue on with it. And then we'll see what happens. You know, I never try to um, get a publisher pre-book because I want to write the book anyway. And so if I tried to get a publisher and let's say I couldn't, then I might not write the book and then that would really piss me off. And so (laughs) I really have to write the book. And then after the book is written, then, you know, as I say, then I will try and send it out and see if I can find a publisher for it. But that's a ways away still right now. But for now, I really, I really am grateful that I have a writing project because I... That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that it keeps your attention. Yeah, totally. Because it's just, I just printed out like the 
a draft of parts of it and sort of trying to sort of see what's fitting and what what how how and or if it is holding together so tomorrow that's going to be my project is sort of reading the printed out pages and seeing awesome that's great well yeah I'm so honored to have met you and to be able oh, to connect with you. Too. And I told you, you many, too. several of my friends have taken classes from you. Michelle Otero was one of yeah. our writers. Yeah, I love Michelle. When you told me that, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's Amy Wallen and Michelle Otero. I mean, two of my closest friends. I feel yeah. like I've heard about you forever. <laughs> like, what a great teacher you are. So, oh, that's so sweet. I'm just really, I'm really thankful that you've agreed to join our little posse here and uh... oh listen the pleasure is mine totally no i've been looking forward to this and i'm so grateful to you for you know this forum to both to meet you hang out with you interact yeah. with you write for you all of that it's really that been stuff. a pleasure yeah thank you and so i know really our our thank our you. audience we call them plumsters they're going to be thrilled with having you be on our podcast and in oh, our cool. in our digital edition of plume and with your letter and everything so it's very exciting for us so well it's thank very you, exciting thank to you. me and you know and greetings to all of your plumsters <laughs> and you know truly i'm so grateful to both of you and it's been great thank meeting you. you and talking to you, you too. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. Bye. That was great. I've never met Sue before, so it's really fun meeting these writers on Zoom and getting to know them. And she was just delightful. I thought she was just so sweet and so smart, and I really enjoyed hearing her work and hearing about her process. I, I thought that was a great conversation. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I know I brought her into this plume thing because um, she's a, uh, I know her through other friends. Well, not know her. I've never met her, but they also sing her praises so highly and they, not just of her writing. And really, if you do read the book, any of her books, I think her writing is really spot on. But it's about her ability to teach. I mean, she's just so many of my friends like laud her as a teacher. And if you look online, you'll find her presenting here, there, and everywhere online these days. I mean, so I'm so lucky that she had a slot for us. And I'm so lucky that I got to experience her and meet her online, of course. But I hope you all just enjoy her as much as we did. And now it's time for the book review corner. So I just finished, I'm very late to this. This book came out technically before I was born. I believe it was, or when, no, I'm sorry. I think I was maybe three. Either way, mid eighties, let's say. So it's Alan Moore's celebrated graphic novel, Watchmen. So I'm very late to this, um, but I had heard that, you know, the TV show they recently made out of it was amazing. And, but everyone said, you know, you have to read the, the comic or the graphic novel first. It's really going to inform what happens in the show. I mean, you could watch the show without it, but, but read the, the text first. Um, and I think I was frustrating my husband because he really wanted me to finish. And I kept saying, oh, I've read a couple pages today. And I liked it. It just was one of those things where I felt like every time I happened to sit down to read it, you know, my kids would start arguing or something would happen. And so I finally finished it. And I really enjoyed the book. And I understand exactly why it still stands up as this seminal work in graphic novel history. Uh, I wish I read more graphic novels. I do read some, and one of my favorite books, Fun Home, is a graphic novel. Um, and I've read a couple recently, but this really stood out to me, this idea of kind of fallen heroes. Like, it's sort of based on 
these heroes that are sort of twisted versions of the you know superman and batman and all those different heroes um and it's just really layered rich storytelling and then okay so you may know this if you've read our blog before but i am obsessed with adaptations i don't even care if they're good i mean obviously it's better if they're good but i just love the idea of reading something and then seeing other art that people make from it whether it's a movie or tv show or whatever it is and so the watchmen limited series it was kind of like a mini series i guess is i don't know if they do they still make those is that still a thing i don't know um, i don't anyway, know so. either i know that british <laughs> british series are usually like just six episodes they and then get you it. never see them again and that, like, they get it that they don't so really, much i love better. it yeah yes. totally yes so this they, was... they never have episodes that jump the shark no, and they don't just have filler. You know, it's not, we have to fill these 22-hour-long episodes yeah. for this season, and there's not, like, and a long season. Oh, let's do the Christmas show. Oh, gosh. So, anyway, <laughs> the adaptation that HBO just did, you know, starring Regina King, was one of the best things I've ever seen, and I'm so glad that I read this this book. I... I'm still, like, I get chills just thinking about it. And I just today, it was nominated for something like a record this year of 26 Emmys. Like, it is one of the best things I've ever seen. And so I'm so glad I watched it. And I, won't, I don't want to give anything away, but it's basically taking a story that was written 35, 40 years ago and expanding upon it, revisiting these characters. Where are some of them now? And what does that look like in our world? And I just really appreciated the way... Because the other, the book is about things that were very important then. Like, certainly there were issues of race and gender and sexuality. But, like, the main focus was the uh, the Cold War and this ramping up of we're all going to get blown up. And it was this huge pivotal point in it. And then the show kind of picks up with that. But it brings in so many current things that have always been present but really feel like they're at a boiling point right now, especially regarding race. And it just... It blew my mind, and so I can't recommend it enough. But definitely read the the graphic novel first. It's definitely worth it. I I loved it, and that's what I just recently finished reading. Well, good for you. Um, I've just been, I've had a bad week or two, basically, just with everything that's going on in the world and everything I'm trying to do in the world and in my house, for example, and in in Plume and trying to earn a living and I've got some workshops coming up and that I'm trying to put together. So I've just been so distracted and I have not been reading at all. I haven't finished the three books on my, on my nightstand. And then of course I just ordered two more. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get back. I'm, I will, I will, I will. So I need to get back into the groove of reading again because it is so important I mean, it's amazing to me when writers say, oh, I never read, but yeah, I want to write a novel. Oh, you don't, I, don't I mean, yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't read. Like, really, you should. Um, because you want to write, not that, I think we need to learn who we like so we can emulate what they're doing and how they're doing it. Not just, like, how did they put those words together? Like, mm -hmm. the process. Mm -hmm. So I have my favorites, and I need to go back and read more memoirs for example but also fiction because I really think that fiction is really important to tell me how to tell a story and see yeah. how that writer does it so and even poetry too I have to say I mean I kind of poo-pooed it earlier in my life and I kind of made fun of the four-year-old okay I admit it <laughs> but I mean like really if you look at poetry as like sometimes there's great lines great images and for some reason, um, I think there's some kind of truth in them that 
is really helpful to think about when you're writing a book, whether it's a memoir or fiction or um, something else. I mean, I think those kind of images are important in your story, not just the facts, ma'am, you know. You kind of really want to tell about the place and the history behind the place or something. And that's what I think uh, we all need to work on. So I need to read more. Well, at the at the point right now in my memoir, my 87th review, I mean, my 87th draft, I'm really just doing edits at the moment, and um, I've been even restless with those. I just can't sit that long, or I get tired of sitting, or I have to move to a new room or something. But I'm trying to get it, like, page at a time. The, I do the, my drop-in writing sessions on Mondays, and then the brown bag writers on Wednesdays and at least I I know I'm actually getting the pen to the page and maybe they'll never see the light of day but I think it just keeps the wheels turning so that's really the only writing I have thoughts about what these some of these things will be or things I want to write about but I haven't been doing it yeah well you've been doing more than I have I've been grading finals this week so I haven't really been writing much of anything but as the semester is wrapping up soon then I'll have a little bit of a, a break before then elementary school starts and I'm basically homeschooling so that's a whole other yeah but I've been thinking a lot about the things that I'm working on and kind of getting some ideas for uh short fiction and a novel that I was drafting so lots of ideas that I'm I'm ready to dig into in the next week or so yeah I do have a notebook (laughs) oh I'm, I'm writing them down too so so you know we had Sue William Silverman here and so I'm actually this is an homage to her This is actually a quote from the letter that she shared with us and our Plume subscribers. And she said, Writing nourishes my soul. It helps me make sense of my life. It helps me discover the metaphors of my life. So for Sue, she talked about the road trip. You know, remember that with her gold Plymouth? So that's the image. I think if you want to think about that, that is an image for her recent essay collection. And uh, I did this as a writing prompt, actually, at my Monday Writers Group. And they were a little bit like, I don't know, I don't know, you know. But I thought about it, and that's what we did. We wrote about this, and I thought about this as kind of a writing prompt. And it's wonderful once you really start getting to it in your head. And I actually started flipping through my photos on my phone, and I found this whole selection of pictures that I did of dead dead flowers. That's the that's a great metaphor for my uh, a certain time of my life, and uh, I'll tell you, it's really not about dying. I'll write it and I'll share it with you later. <laughs> but seriously, so that I think we're gonna do some kind of a contest coming up, and uh, you're gonna have to look for the news on that on our all of our social medias like Instagram, especially. We will do that um, starting the first probably. So think about what is the metaphor for your life, an image that represents that metaphor. Well, that does it for us. You can find us on patreon.com backslash plume of writers companion. As we mentioned right now, we have a $2 tier level and a $5 tier level, and there's lots of fun things there. So you don't want to miss that. Be sure to check that out. If nothing else, you can see the avatars are pictures of our very cute cats. And our website, where we host our blog and other information, is plumeforwriters.org. And on social media, our Twitter and Instagram handle is plumeforwriters. And on Facebook, you can find us under Plume of Writers Companion. 
We'd also love it if you would help us grow this podcast. We're already overwhelmed and, and so excited by how much it's been spreading. So please help us grow this some more. Tell your friends and other writers that you know. We'd also love it if you would rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. This is a great way to help us gain visibility so others can find our show. Happy writing! <laughs> I'll edit it together. <laughs>